to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friend. Today we are continuing on in our series on Jesus's parables. And I'm really excited because today we get to dive into one that's really well known. And what I want to offer you today is a new way to understand this particular parable. We're kind of going to turn it on its head a little bit. And I want to encourage you to receive this with an open heart and an open mind, as I often always say, and let yourself be challenged. Let your usual way of understanding this parable be challenged a little bit. And if you want to read more about where some of my thinking is coming from with this parable, I really encourage you to look up the book Short Stories by Jesus by Amy Jill Levine. I highly, highly recommend it. It's a little bit of an in-depth read, but if this is stuff that really intrigues you, I really recommend going and reading her book. One of the things she does that I really appreciate is helps us see where anti-Semitism really comes into play in a lot of modern day Christianity. And it's really helpful to understand understand that and then to really use her thinking and her study as a way to understand how Jesus's listeners who were Jewish themselves really would have heard his stories and these parables. So as we dive in, we are going to look at Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32. And I am reading from the new revised standard version of the Bible. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. For the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate and eat. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. 
He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all of these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, help us to hear this story today with new ears, with a new understanding. Guide us to your love, to where you are calling us. Help us to see your work in this world, bringing us together and reminding us that we belong not only to you, but to one another. Restore us to that, O oh God. Open our hearts and our minds and fill our well with your good news today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This particular parable is probably one of the most well-known parables in our culture. There are musicals and movies and all sorts of different things, and they always offer a really pretty straightforward understanding of what the parable means. It's clearly, for most people, about repentance and acceptance. We often identify with the prodigal son, the one who squanders his early inheritance, realizes his wrongdoing, goes home and seeks forgiveness, and is welcomed back with a big celebration. We often feel the most compassion for him and this excitement that he has been welcomed in. And this parable also tells us, too, about a God who is just abundantly forgiving, who welcomes us home no matter what with open arms. It's a story about amazing grace. But with this traditional understanding of, of this parable also comes a warning that we really should not be like the older brother who comes across as self-righteous and resentful, who really is upset with his father's graciousness and generosity, who just stands outside the party with his arms crossed. But if we aren't careful, that last piece about the brother can really be a slippery slope into anti-Semitism, particularly because this interpretation of the parable serving as a warning that we shouldn't be like the brother, because in this traditional interpretation, that older brother often represents Jewish folks, the ones who have been loyal to their father God all along, who have been toiling away and who are now feeling resentful and angry about a God who welcomes Gentiles and sinners. And so we want, to, we want to shift away from some of that anti-Semitism that can seep into our traditional understandings of these parables. But this also presents a troubling notion, too, that Jesus is the first to tell us about God's grace, right? That if we understand the older brother representing the Jewish folks and the Jewish religious elites, it somehow gives us this idea that they had gotten it wrong all along, 
that Jewish folks didn't understand God as a God of grace and forgiveness. And so somehow God's character changed between the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that people hadn't already understood God to be compassionate and loving and full of grace and compassion before Jesus came and told this particular parable. And spoiler alert, it is all over the Hebrew scriptures and in what Christians call the Old Testament, that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. They did have an understanding of God as a God of compassion and grace. This is not new news. And so what if we tip this particular understanding of the parable on its head? What if we look at it in a new light? I think I've mentioned before that this parable is one of my favorite parables to read in an intergenerational setting. I love reading it with adults and I love reading it with youth and hearing the different interpretations that come from these two groups. Because when adults read it, they see the younger son as honest and true when he comes home, that he is so genuine as he walks up to his house and they trust his words that when he says, Father, forgive me for I have sinned against heaven and before you, they trust that those are genuine, that he is genuinely seeking forgiveness and admitting his wrongdoing. However, (laughs) when I read this with teenagers, they don't buy it. They do not buy it. The words the younger son says to his father are totally rehearsed. He has practiced them before. He knew just what to say in order to convince his father to welcome him home. He went out, spent all this money, got got stuck, ended up with nothing. And now he's like, well, I can go to my father and surely he'll give me food. He knows just what to say for his father to welcome him back. And for those who are familiar with the Bible stories, his words the words of this younger brother would echo those that Pharaoh used when Pharaoh goes to Moses and Aaron amidst all the plagues and says, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. If you want to look it up, that's in Exodus chapter 10. And so for these teenagers, instead of seeing the younger son as genuine and trustworthy, they see right through his BS. They see him as self-indulgent, fiscally irresponsible. He is greedy. He is conniving. He knows just what to say to get his way. But not all hope for him is lost. To understand this parable a little better, it helps to look at it within the context that it's written. So just before this particular parable come two others that are quite familiar to many of us. There's the lost sheep and the lost coin. The lost sheep is the shepherd with 99 sheep who loses one and then leaves to go find the one. And when he does, throws it over his shoulders and carries it home and throws a big party to celebrate that the lost has been found. The parable of the lost coin parallels that. Uh, It's about a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one. She turns her house upside down searching for that one coin, finds it, and then, of course, throws a big party because the lost has been found. I want to note that if we follow the typical translation of these parables, that the shepherd represents Jesus and the father and the prodigal son story represents God, then it really only follows that the woman with the lost coin represents the Holy Spirit. And so if you're someone who has thought a lot about, can God be understood as male, female, both, etc., this is one of those stories that, that can help us understand that. That's beside the point. The point of putting this parable of the lost son in context is to say that neither the sheep nor the coin repent, right? Remember how we were saying that we don't know if the younger son is actually genuine in his repentance. 
if we look at this story in its context with these other parables, we see that that's not really what it's necessarily about. Because the sheep and the coin, right? They can't, they can't actually repent in the way that humans can repent. So maybe it's instead about noticing how one from the flock has gone missing. Maybe it's about noticing that one from those 10 coins has gone missing and the effort that goes into bringing them back and reconciling the whole. I don't know if you've ever watched over a hundred sheep, but I don't know that I would be able to tell if one of a hundred sheep had gone missing or even looking at a stack of 10 quarters. I don't think I would notice if someone had taken one off of the top of the stack when I wasn't looking. And so what if it's instead about noticing, paying attention to when one is lost and then putting in those efforts towards reconciliation? What if it's to warn us to pay attention? What if it's actually about a desperate father trying to make his family whole once again? Because all three of these stories about something being lost Someone noticing, frantically searching, finding, and then working towards wholeness, and then offering a celebration. And so the challenge of this parable is not Jesus trying to get us to see God's love and compassion in a new way. It's not about being judgmental to one of the brothers. It's about guiding us towards reconciliation. Can we notice when one of our flock has gone astray? And then how can we come together to make our family whole again? And then with that, where is God at work in all of this? So again, turning this whole thing on its head, let's talk for a moment about the older brother. We know he's gotten a pretty bad rap throughout history. He seems self-righteous and angry, maybe a little entitled. So can we, can we put ourselves in his shoes for a moment? I know we've been doing this a lot lately with this parable series, but it really helps if we, if we put ourselves in his shoes. Let's say that you are the oldest sibling in your family and you have an annoying younger sibling who does everything wrong all the time. They're always breaking the rules, always disobeying and disrespecting your elders, even to the point of taking a huge chunk of your parents' money and wandering off to squander it all on reckless living. And all the while, you have been doing your part. Say this is when you're growing up. You're working hard. You're supporting your family. You're getting good grades. You're doing all of the things right. And yet your parents are all wrapped up in worrying about your younger sibling. And you're just trying to do your part to pick up the slack, to try to, to do your part, to pick up what your sibling has left off. And then one day while you're out working in the field, your no good younger sibling returns with empty words that just sound recited. And what does your father do? throws him a party and doesn't even think to come find you in the field and invite you to celebrate. This is a really important piece that we often overlook. The fact that no one even bothered to go get the older brother and invite him into the party, right? He finds out when he comes back from the field and hears singing and dancing. And I don't know about you, but if I were that older brother, I'd be mad. 
I'd be really irritated. And I think he has every right to be angry. He's been ignored. He's been overlooked. He's been trying to pick up this slack from his younger brother being gone. And he feels forgotten. And wouldn't you be upset too? And so in this moment, as he comes up to the house and he hears this singing and dancing, years, years of resentment finally catch up with him in this moment as he's standing outside, got his arms crossed and so frustrated and so hurt. And it's at this moment in the parable that the father realizes that it is the older son, not the younger son, who is truly lost. He goes outside and comes to his son. And then his son explains why he feels the way he does. He finally expresses his frustration and his anger, his feeling like his father paid no mind to him, didn't acknowledge all that he did and didn't even pay attention to him, didn't care for him in the way that the father cared for the younger son. And I love what happens here because what the father does is so profound. The father listens. He listens and takes in what his son says. And then rather than argue with him, rather than tell him he's wrong for feeling the way he does, the father instead comforts him. The NRSV translation that we read says that the father pleads with his son. But the Greek word that's used there has a connotation of both pleading and comforting. He's trying to offer comfort to his son. While he's pleading with him to come inside, he's also offering him this comfort. He's reaching out to his son, who no doubt feels like the lost and forgotten sheep. And he assures him, my son, I have always loved you. Everything I have is yours. Please come in and celebrate. Please come in and join our family. What we thought had been lost and divided forever can be whole once again. And what's really beautiful about this speech by the father is that it isn't rehearsed, right? He didn't practice his lines before going out to to be with his oldest son. He listens to his son's feelings and then responds with compassion in the moment. He's doing his best to rectify a broken relationship and a broken family. And the language here is really important too. It's really powerful because when expressing his anger and resentment, the older son says, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. But when this son of yours came back, this one who has devoured your property and you killed the fatted calf for him. Listen to that language. He's distancing himself, right? This son of yours, this one. It reminds me, I get really frustrated and irritated when I'm watching political debates and rather than refer to the other person by their name, they say this guy over here or this woman over here. It's a distancing tactic, right? There's nothing relational about this. And he's trying to express to his father, you favored this one, you loved him more. And then when the father responds... He says, you have always been with me. He says, your brother, this brother of yours. He's taking that language his son used and trying to remind him, to remind this oldest son that he is connected. 
that he belongs. He is trying to restore that relationship to bridge that gap. As that older son was trying to distance himself, the father is trying to bring him back into the fold. Because when either son was missing, the family wasn't whole. And the father is desperately, desperately trying to restore them and bring them home to one another, to each other. And the crux of it all, the hardest part is that we don't know. We don't know how the story ends. The parable closes with the father trying to restore his family back to wholeness. And so we're left wondering, did the older brother forgive his father and the younger brother? Did he go inside? Did he join the celebration and the song and the dance? Or did the younger brother actually repent and change his ways? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that the father had two sons. Both were lost. And the father, the loving father, did all that he could to make his family whole again. Finding a lost sheep or a lost coin is one thing. And reconciling them to the rest is one thing. But reconciling a lost and broken family is a whole other ballgame. It's hard. I know my family is a blended family and it was hard to bring us together. And when those rifts happen throughout your lives and your families, it is so hard to reconcile, to bridge that gap. But what this story offers us is hope. It offers us a guide. It encourages us. Can we look for who is missing? Can we open our eyes like that shepherd who noticed that one out of a hundred was missing. Can we notice that? And then can we make the effort to go and seek out, to go searching for that one? And then can we listen? Can we listen without arguing? Can we listen to understand rather than to respond? Can we listen to the pain that they're feeling? just like the father did with his oldest son here. And can we speak our truth the way that the oldest son did? Can we name our feelings? Can we name the hurt? And then can we recognize and remember relationship in the way that the father desperately tries to remind his son that this is your brother. You are my son. All we have is shared. Can we recognize and remember the relationship, the things that bring us together? And it is only from these efforts, it is from these efforts that comes the potential for wholeness and joy, for that celebration, that feast to be complete. Yes, it is good news when the younger son returns. But it is even better news that this broken family has the possibility for reconciliation. It is even better news that this loving father notices, notices that his oldest son is missing and goes out looking for him, listens to his pain, and then reminds his son of how deeply he is loved, that he has not been forgotten, that he is seen and heard and loved, that what's mine is yours and we belong to each other. In this time in our world, when there feels like there's a lot of division and we wonder where God is in all of it, this, this parable, this is where I see God. 
God is doing that work to reconcile us to one another. God is that loving father, that woman turning everything upside down to find the lost and restore it to the whole. Noticing when one goes missing and then doing the work to bring them back into the fold, reminding us that we are loved, telling us we are seen and we are heard, that we have not been forgotten. God is out here reminding us that though we are an imperfect and often divided family, that we still are a family, that we are God's children, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we belong to each other. Allow yourself, my friend, to be seen, to be heard, to be found. And know that you are loved. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org. Or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.